about 20 years ago, um, we started back up a pew packers class for the very first time. We hadn't had pew packers in years. And uh, so Dan Jenkins, uh, co-worker down there, was going to teach this pew packers class. And we had, again, hadn't had it for years. And so our daughter goes to this. She's probably three years old. Uh, and uh, first pew packers class she's ever been to. Um, and so she goes to And the first question, you know, you get down with all these little kids. She's three years old. First question, Dan says, What's the best book in the world? Context is everything, right? What's the best book in the world? And she, she thought for a minute, and then she said, The Cat in the Hat. <laughs> well, I mean, to her, I mean, that, that, was, that was one of her favorite books. But inside of a church setting, right, context, that's probably not the answer that we're looking for. You know, if you're inside the church setting, you're probably going to be more along the bike. But, you know, so context. And so I, I mentioned that to say, if I were to ask in a different context than where we are, what's the greatest work in the world? What would people say? Oh, an engineer, you know, a nurse, you know, you, you got to be able to help people, a teacher, you know, instilling things into people's, uh, in the children's minds. You know, somebody works in computers or IT, we keep the world running, they say, you know, and so what's the greatest work in the world? You're going to have all sorts of things, but context in this room, in this place today. What's the greatest work in the world? Well, it already has the word great in it. It's the great commission that Jesus gave to us. You know, there might be others who get to do the great works of the world, get to be the engineers and the doctors and the nurses and all of that. But we, as His children, have the greatest work in the world and it's called the Great Commission. And I know we know that. I know we've heard that. I, I know we know those verses. But I want you to think about Jesus saying these words to us today. To each and not just not to a large group of people where you can just kind of blend in. Okay, that's that's not a part of me. But he says them to you. He says them to me. He says, David, go, therefore. David, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. David, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, David. It gets really personal, doesn't it? Go into all the world, David, and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. When I look at those verses, and how many times have you heard them? How many times have you studied them? How many times have you heard lessons on them? When I think about them in a renewed, refreshed focus, and I think about them being pointed at me, then I have to ask myself the question, am I doing it? In the last hour, we talked about leadership training. Is everybody going to be a leader in the Lord's church? The answer is obviously no. Some will never be qualified to be leaders. And so that lesson, that lesson just by nature, sort of doesn't apply to everybody here and for certain doesn't apply to everybody here equally. But when we talk about this topic, this hits all of us equally. Equally. What I want to talk about for the next few minutes is personal evangelism. I'm not here to talk about world evangelism. Not talking about mass evangelism. 
I want to talk about personal evangelism. And as we start, I, I want to share with you six fundamental facts about personal evangelism. These are things you know. They're not revolutionary by any stretch. Okay? Number one, fundamental fact about personal uh, evangelism is that the world is lost. Breaking news, right? The world is lost. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the second part of this first fact. The world is lost, and so am I if I don't do anything to reach them. That gets really uncomfortable. The first part of that is a fact that we know. The second part of that is like, wait a minute, I don't think that's right. Well, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Can I be right if I don't do the things that He says? To him who knows to do good and does not do it to him in his sin, James 4, verse 17. I could say the world is lost and okay, but when I say, and so am I, if I don't do something to reach them, ouch. But if you if you don't believe that's true, I need you to tell me that that's not true. Fundamental fact number two. Personal evangelism is a natural outgrowth. A natural outgrowth of my deep and abiding concern for lost souls. If I have a deep and abiding concern for somebody, am I going to do something about it? And how am I going to do it? Naturally. It's just going to be a natural outgrowth. Some of you have grandkids. Some of you <clears throat> have great grandkids, right? And so is it is it a is it a a big thing? Is it a uh, is it a monumental test? Is it something that makes you uncomfortable, uneasy, that I don't have time to, you, you, to, to do something for your grandkids, your great-grandkids, or is it a natural outgrowth? Do you have a deep and abiding concern for your grandkids? Just naturally. You're going to do something for them. Naturally, you're going to take care of them. Maybe you're thinking, I don't have kids. What about your pets? Some of you treat your pets like they're your grandkids, okay? So you've got a deep abiding concern for your pets and your cows or whatever it may be. And so you, it's a natural, I know, it's got personal. It's a natural outgrowth. It's not, oh, I have to do this. No, I just do it because that's who I am. That's where my heart is. Number three, personal evangelism is the responsibility of every Christian. No exceptions. Number four, personal evangelism begins and proceeds one person at a time. Go into all the world, Lord, that's huge. There's, there's billions of people on the planet. One person at a time. You ever had uh, uh, some food laid out in front of you? You're like, wow, I can't eat all of that. And then you just pushed yourself away from the table. So I, I can't eat all of that, so I won't eat any of it. <laughs> Probably not, right? You're like, boy, I can't eat all of that, but I'll give it a try. You know, and, but how did what you do? One bite at a time. And all of a sudden you look down and say, where did it all go? That's how personal evangelism works. You don't, you don't have to go to everybody, but it starts one person at a time. Personal evangelism requires hard work. Sorry to tell you. It's going to take effort to do this. Maybe that's what keeps us from doing it because we want that, we want that ease that's involved sometimes, but it's going to take some effort, but let me tell you, it is 100% worth it. Every effort you put in here is going to be paid back to you, is worth it. I have no 
Second, the second thoughts about saying that personal evangelism is the most exciting work that you can do as a Christian. It, 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 does, it doesn't get more exciting. All right? Sixth fundamental fact is that when it comes to personal evangelism or anything, really, if we plan for nothing, if we pray for nothing, if we are hoping for nothing, if we are dreaming of nothing, and if we are doing nothing, well, what are we going to get? Uh, it's not hard to figure out. So, if I am not being profitable, successful in personal evangelism, if a congregation is not, and I, and I know this congregation is very evangelistic, so I, I, I have no worries about that, but if we're not planning, if we're not doing, if we're not hoping that we can do more, then there's not going to be any reaping from what we're doing. What would happen if I truly had a deep and abiding concern for lost souls? What would happen if I had a genuine agape love for individuals who were lost in sin and headed to an eternity in hell? An agape love that says, I want what's best for this person and I'm going to do what is needed to help this person. What would happen if I had that for them? And so as we think about, if we think about personal evangelism today, I want to share with you just some thoughts that here's, here's, here's how to be truly successful. Here's what it's going to take for us to be uh, to achieve what we need to achieve in personal evangelism. Two things, but it's actually four things. Here's what it's going to take. We're going to have to stop and act. Now, that may sound backwards, right? It may sound like uh, maybe what your wife says to you. Now, stop talking. Or what your wife tells your children. Now, stop talking. Now, tell me who did this. Who broke this? Well, wait, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to stop talking? Or am I supposed to tell you uh, who broke, you know, is, which is so to stop and to act. How, which one do you want? It's, we, we've got to do all of this. So, four steps. Four steps in personal evangelism. Step one is to stop. Step one is I've got to stop getting me in the way. If I, if I want to be successful in personal evangelism, I've got to look in the mirror and realize I'm the problem sometimes. I'm the hurdle sometimes. I am the reason that I am not... That, tell me, what, what reason is there that I'm not doing more? I am the reason. So in Luke chapter 14, you've got the parable of the Great Supper. And when Jesus tells the parable of the Great Supper, the instruction is given to the men, go out uh, and invite all of these people to the feast. You know, it's that uh, go and say, all things are ready, come to the feast. Well, that's Luke chapter 14, verse 17. The very next verse says... They all, A-L-L, they all with one accord began to make excuses. Come, the feast is ready. Go and invite all of these people to come in. And they all with one accord began to make excuses. A-L-L, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creatures. And they all with one accord begin to make excuses. Do we make excuses for not doing it? We've got to overcome us. We've got to identify what are those excuses, what are those reasons that I don't do this, what are those, what are those fears, and, and the fears are legitimate. I get it. Those fears are legitimate. We've got to identify what are those things and overcome them 
to break down those walls and those barriers and to get me, stop getting me in the way. Now, I'm not going to go through and develop all these, but here are some things that I've heard over the years, and I'm sure you've heard these and others. Sometimes folks will say, I don't have time. I'm too busy. Too busy doing what? Would be a question. If I don't have time to do the greatest work on earth, I am too busy. I need to figure out what I'm doing that's keeping me from doing it and rearrange my priorities to get the busyness involved in the Lord's work and to bring other things where they need to be in perspective. I don't have time. I've got time. I need to adjust my schedule. Number two, that's the preacher's job. That's what we've got him for. Well, the preacher has just as much of the Great Commission directed at him as you do to you. It's to all of us. I don't see anybody else doing it. You know, it's just, there's not a whole lot of members doing this, so I, I, I feel like I'm comfortable here. Is that our standard? Is our standard what everybody else is doing or not doing? You know, when, when your kids came to you and said, everybody else is doing this, that, that was a good standard, right? Everybody else, well, of course, we're going to do it if everybody else does. Well, if everybody else isn't doing it, is that, is that the standard we're going to use? Here's, here's the biggest one. I don't know enough. I just don't know enough. When we get to the end of this today, I'm going to tell you, you do know enough. I'm going to show you, you do know enough. But that's our fear. I don't know enough. They're going to ask me something I don't know the answer to. You know what? They are. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That somebody's going to ask you a question you don't know the answer to. It's going to happen. You know what the answer is? I'll give you the answer. You don't know the answer? I'll give you the answer. Here's the answer. I don't know. That's. But David, I'm supposed to know. I'm a Christian. They're going to, you know, they're going to make fun of me. Okay. I don't know. But I'm going to study on that, and I'm going to get back to you. Some of the best times, I didn't feel it at the time, some of the best times in my life have been when I've been nailed to a wall by somebody with a Bible question, with some kind of argument that I couldn't answer at the time. And I felt so low, and I felt so dumb, and I thought, wow, I don't know what to do here. I say some of those were the best times of my life because it forced me to come back here to dig in find the answer, and go back to them. It's okay to say, I don't know. But I'm going to find out. Number five, David, religion is not the acceptable thing to talk about. You know, you look at our society, and it's just, well, what other unacceptable things do we talk about? I mean, some of you talk about Alabama football, or you talk about Tennessee football. I mean, I, I don't know what's acceptable and unacceptable in some places, but you still talk about it, right? I mean, I, I'm not up here to talk about the Gators. I don't like the Gators, right? So when somebody comes to me and talks, I'm from Florida, I'm supposed to like the Gators, and they come and talk to me about that's kind of unacceptable. I don't care about the Gators. And you, but you're talking to me about, you know, but we talk about things that other people don't want to hear about all the time. Why not our relationship with Christ? I'm afraid of what people will think of me. It goes along with number five here. I'm afraid of what people will think of me. We talk about all sorts of things that that doesn't stop us. I just don't know that many people. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. I, just, I don't know that David. The reality is I don't know that many. You do. I guarantee you do. Last one here. I don't know how. I don't know what to say. You know, if, if I'm supposed to teach somebody the gospel, uh, that's, that's, that's my greatest fear is I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And, that, and 
and this, if we get to the end of this lesson, I want to address that. We're not going to address all of these in this, but the point of looking at these is to say the first step and be more successful and effective in personal evangelism is to stop getting me in the way. Here's to me the great, that we're using this word great, the greatest work is the Great Commission. The greatest part of the Great Commission is that last line that says, Lo, I am with you always. To me, that's the greatest part. Because it's not Jesus just saying, hey, go out there and do this. And Jesus is in heaven sipping on His iced tea. It'd be sweet tea, of course. But He's sit, sitting in heaven sipping on His tea watching us do it. No, 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 no. I am with you always. This is not our work. It's His. This is not our, you know, it, it, it's not something that, that He has put on us and He's going to say, it's all on you. He is with us every step of the way. He's there to strengthen us. He's there to help it. And, and how and the, and the what of that process, you know, I don't understand all of that, but we are not alone and we don't have anything to worry about if we are engaged in His work. I need to stop getting myself in the way. Whatever it is, and you may do this exercise, you don't have to do it right now. Whatever it is that's keeping you from being involved in personal evangelism, you might write it down on a piece of paper. Sometimes you can think it, but sometimes if you write it down on a piece of paper and actually have to look at it, it becomes real. What's keeping me from tell, talking to somebody about the gospel, teaching somebody the gospel? What's keeping me? Write it down. Look at it. And then pray about it. God, this is why I'm not involved in teaching somebody the gospel. Please help me to overcome whatever this is. I've got to stop and I've got to act. What am I doing when I'm acting? Well, number one, step two, the letter A, is I, I need to acknowledge, I need to recognize, I need to awaken to those people who are around me who are prospects for the gospel. I've got to realize that everywhere I turn, there is somebody that is out there who needs the gospel. Personal evangelism to me is different than world evangelism or mass evangelism. World evangelism is you got missionaries going all over the world and I send money to them. I can't be in Paraguay, but I can send money there. That's good. That's not personal evangelism. And me sending a check to Paraguay is not fulfilling my respect. And mass evangelism is, uh, to me, is when a church takes, takes on some advertising in the community. A church is involved in a radio program, a TV program, which I know that you are, and I'm thankful for that. That's great. That's not personal evangelism. All of world evangelism, mass evangelism, those things have to be done. But personal evangelism involves people that I know, people that I meet, people that I live near, people that I have contact, people that I talk to. That's where it's not people that might watch a television program. It might be, it might be people who live in Paraguay and they might have contact with this missionary I am supporting. It's talking about my circle of influence the people that, that are around me. And it's, I'm not just talking about friends and family. I'm talking about people that you're going to see today you've never seen before when you're out at some store that are in my circle of influence that they may never meet another New Testament Christian in their entire life. That's on me. That's my responsibility. And so what does Jesus say in John chapter 4, verse 35? He's got three words that have to do with your eyes. He's got, he, starts, sorry, he starts with the word behold. What does that word behold mean? Open up. Pay attention. 
Behold, lift up your eyes and look. I just I find it amazing you got three words that are there saying the same thing. Behold, lift up your eyes, look. What is that? Oh, pay attention. Don't say we can do this later. He said we can do it now. We need to look around and realize that there are souls everywhere that we turn. Those souls are not just unknown. They have specific identities. I know them. I might know their name. I know what they, that person looks like. I know where they work, whatever it may be. And that person is going to spend an eternity in heaven or in hell. And little old me can have an impact on where that person goes for I've got the good news of Jesus. And that's, they may not know it. That is their greatest need. Personal evangelism, I've got to open my eyes. I've got to realize that every person I come across is a soul who needs what I have. So somebody says, I just don't know, I don't, I just don't know that many people. You know, I'm, I just kind of live in a bubble, you know, I'm, I'm not around that many people. Can I share with you some categories? And we're not going to go through all these. Can I just share with you some categories of people that you probably know who need the gospel? When you talk about your relatives, whether it's a close relative or distant relative, talk about your neighbors, your friends, your workmates, schoolmates, teammates, some acquaintance you have. Maybe you've never met them. Maybe they're just an online acquaintance. You've got religious friends. Maybe you're in some club. You're in the, the, the Lions Club or something. There's people there that need the gospel. you got a restaurant worker. You go to a restaurant and you always want to sit in that person's section. Or you go to Subway, you go to some restaurant, and it's always the same person making your sandwich and checking you out. And you, you talk to them and you know them and you, you, you know their name even if they don't have their name tag on. You know that person. They need the gospel. There was some retail worker, same situation. Some of you folks do a lot of shopping. I'm not talking about Amazon. I'm talking about in-store shopping. You know the people that work there. They need the gospel. What about somebody, what about your pharmacist? You know your pharmacist? What about your repairman, the guy you trust with your car? He needs, she needs. What about your insurance agent, your accountant? You go through this list. And you go through this list, all of a sudden, you start putting names next to these. And if you're like me, some of these I don't put a name next to it because I don't know their name. You know, I, I, my pharmacist, I couldn't tell you. You know, I, I couldn't tell you the name. But I, I, I know who it is. And so there, there's an identity that is there. Maybe it's the spouse of some member of this congregation who's not a Christian or a child of the member of this congregation who's not a member who's not a Christian. People going through life change, that's a huge category and it goes through a number of the rest of these. People who are going through life changes are often more receptive to the gospel. And so you find somebody going through one of these life changes in, 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 these, in these columns and say, I know somebody, Joe. I, I know somebody, somebody I work with, they're going through that right now. Ready made for me to teach them the gospel. Do you know anybody who's just undesirable by society? Nobody else wants to have anything to do with them. Jesus does. I should. And, and, and they, they just don't fit. You know anybody stressed about life? Anybody depressed? Anybody that's not happy with their church? They talk, you know, my church is doing this, my church is doing that. Open door for me to walk through when they're, when they're making those comments. Do you know anybody that's irked by moral trends? What's going on? Anybody talking to say, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And they're talking about all these perversions there. Open door. That's somebody that I need to walk through and say, that's who I need. When I don't know how many's on this list, and you can multiply this two or three times over. 
the point of this is to say, we've got these people all networks. And if we're going to be effective in personal evangelism, we've got to awaken. Everybody I see and everybody I know is a prospect for the gospel. Letter C. What do I do? Step three. Step three is once I have awakened, once I've opened my eyes, once I behold and lift up my eyes and I look and see all these souls, now I need to create opportunities. Now, all right, now, David, I see these souls. Yep, here's this person. They need the gospel. Okay, what do I do? Um, I need to create an opportunity. Now, creating opportunities is different than teaching them. It's not the same, it's not the same process. But in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, I find it interesting that Paul says, he tells the church of Colossae, pray for us that a door may be opened for the gospel. What's the word door there? Your translation may have the word opportunity instead of the word door. Paul says, pray for a door to be opened. What's that talking about? We want to create an opportunity. Is the door being opened, the gospel being... No, it's not the, he's not teaching the gospel. He's just looking for an opportunity, the door to be there, and that needs to be created sometimes. So how can we create opportunities to teach somebody the gospel? How can we spark their interest? How can we start this? Uh, I'm not going to develop these at all. Um, sometimes I would spend more time on this, but here's the point. It starts my, by my distinct living. Somebody's not going to care what I say about Jesus if they don't see Jesus in my life already. That's right. uh, we, we've had, uh, I hate to admit this, we, we had somebody visit our service one time and there was a man up leading a prayer in that service. She mentioned after services to somebody. I work with that guy. I didn't even know he was a Christian. Okay, great. We the, here's here's a soul that needs the gospel, and she doesn't. Even, she sees him at a church that she. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that guy was a Christian. If people don't see us as Christians, if they don't know I'm real about my faith and my de devotion to Christ, I can't teach them the gospel. I. One, I have failed in all of these areas where God tells me to, to focus. That's got to, but that's not the only step. Some, some people will say that's good enough. Some people say, you know, if I just live the Christian life in front of them, they'll, they'll figure out and they'll come and ask me. Jesus did not say, wait until somebody comes and asks you to teach them the gospel and then teach them the gospel. So it's not enough just to live the Christian life, but we've got to do that. That's where it starts. But let me share with you some deliberate, not just some some uh, distinct living that, we, that we're involved in. And let me show you very quickly with some deliberate interactions that we can have with individuals. And again, these are just things that we're doing to try to create opportunities to teach. Uh, first of all, to create opportunities to teach, there are some things that we can give people. What are we talking about? Um, I carry in my wallet, and we have these for our members out in the lot, we've got little what we would call business cards. I hate calling them business cards. Is that not what I want? It to be. But that's what it is. So I carry in my wallet these business cards that, that have the church's information on it. It's got, got the church's address, website. It's got church's service times on them. Um, and I, I, I always have those in my wallet. And I know there are other members who always have them on them so that they have an opportunity. Hey, you know, do you go to church and, and just be able to pass something that simple out to somebody, maybe it's not. And I saw you've got some some stuff out here as well. Maybe it's some kind of a track. Maybe it's some kind of a, a bookmark that's been created. Maybe it's an invitation to an event. Now we're going to talk in a minute about sending things 
electronically, but I am a wholehearted believer in the printed piece of paper, the printed page. I am a wholehearted believer. It's a whole lot harder for somebody to get rid of that than it is to click delete. They'll click delete all day long. But if they have something in their hand, they'll throw it away, but they might be less likely to ditch it than they would now. What do I, what do I mean by that? We had, we had an event you know, four, five, six years ago, and I can't remember what the event was. It may have been our gospel meeting, may have been a, a friends and probably it was probably a friends and family day. I can't remember what it was. But we, we had printed invitations, usually a, usually a little card that's got the information about whatever the event is. Just a small card for our members to take, and we'll order those by the thousands for our members to take in the pass out. Uh, you know, individually put it in people's hands so that they visually see something. Uh, we had uh, we had one of our ladies who went to Publix to the supermarket. She was passing these out to people just coming out of Publix. I mean, you, you get people giving all sorts of stuff coming in and out of Publix, right? Or Kroger or whatever. But she so she was taking these cards and people just coming out of Publix. She was giving them to. Her. She didn't know these people. Hey, we got this thing going on at church. She's passing them out. So she gave it to one young couple that was coming out. This young couple, um, she took it. She put it in her purse. You know, got all these groceries. She takes it. She sticks it in her purse. And they go home. She unpacks her groceries, puts the groceries away. Later, sees this thing in her purse, and she, she takes the card out. She told me later she took the card out. And she said, "This is about this is about I can't throw this away. This is about God and the church. I, that'd be bad for me to throw this." I don't I don't know, but she just she looked at the card. She said, "I can't I just can't bring myself to throw it." So she put it up on a shelf in her house. She's like, "I can't throw this away. I'll, I'll just put it up on the shelf with all the other junk, you know, all the other stuff I don't need." Right. Fast forward a few months. Some things start going on in this young couple's in this young couple's life, and they start talking to each other, and they said, "You know, we, we probably should find a church to start going. We're, things just aren't working right. We, we, we probably should find a church to go to." A light bulb went off in that lady's mind, and she said, "There was that lady outside of Publix, and she she gave me that car. What did I do with that? What did I do? What did I put that car?" And she searched, and she. Found this card, pulled it off the shelf. Next Sunday they were at services. A month later they were baptized into Christ. Why? A lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. But because somebody gave something to them. Put that in their head. Is that going to happen every Of course it's not going to happen every time. You know, it's not going to happen a majority of the time. But it is, it is something that I can give to somebody that is a visual reminder. Oh, yeah, they had this happen. And that event, whatever, friends and family, it was long over with. <laughs> but the contact with the church was there. The interest that that person had shown to them outside of Publix was there. And, and, and I, there's any number of things that you can print off and give to somebody, but you can give them something. Number two, you can send them something. Now this is where we get into the, the electronic age, right? And some of you say, David, you're in the old age with this printed stuff. Yep, I'm in the old ages. But you can do the electronic stuff as well, where you can send them a link to your church website. You've got an awesome church website. It says, I just wanted to share with you our, our church website. And there's a lot of good stuff on here. Or maybe it's a specific sermon. Hey, you know, I, I heard this sermon the other Sunday, and uh, you know, it, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. I just want to share this with you. Send them a link, or or an article that you have found. That is, you know, something short. Maybe it has something to do with what you've talked with this person. Hey, I found this article. I, I, I'm not trying to overload you. I just, I found it interesting. Just, just thought you might as well. Just drop in a note. 
Or it may be sending them a note to say, here's a Bible verse that helped me this morning. I hope it'll help you too. Just a short little text message. Maybe it's a maybe it's a message that says, you know, I, I've been a Christian for this many years, and I just wanted to tell you, here's, here's what I have found to really be the best part of being a Christian. Here's why I love being a Christian. You know, three or four ideas. But you're just sending them a thought. Dropping in. Here's something. Now, let, let, let me make a differentiation here. I'm talking about one-on-one sending them stuff. I'm not talking about posts. Those are different. And do those all day long, too. All right? Posts to the world. Do that. That's massive. To me, that's mass evangelism. But do those posts all day long. Post on your social media. All of this good stuff. But that's, that's throwing the seed out there to all, and we need to do that. But I'm talking about one-on-one. I'm talking about to this person, to this person, an individual note that, that says, I just thought of you, and I wanted to send you this. And, and then for all of these, we need to follow up later. There are some things that you can invite them to, obviously. We need to uh, be involved in inviting them to worship, obviously. But what we talked about Bible, Bible classes last night. What about just saying, hey, we've got these Bible classes for our kids here. Why don't you bring your kids over and, and bring them to Bible class or inviting them to a church event. Uh, sometimes an easy way to get somebody involved uh, is instead of inviting them to worship, hey, we've got this uh, picnic going on. We've got this uh, barbecue going on. We've got whatever this might be. Uh, the church, you, you want to come over? I mean, who doesn't like free food? Uh, and, you know, just hang out uh, for a little while. And that, that's just an easy way to, for them to gain access to knowing who you know and seeing that your church is not really weird and that you're fun, real people who enjoy eating, uh, you know, like whatever that may be. It's a soft entry, soft thing to invite them to. Uh, I know you all put a lot of emphasis on your visitors, and I'm thankful for that. Visitors are our prime prospects for the gospel. They've already shown an interest. They've already experienced the beauty of New Testament worship. And we ought to we ought to follow up with them. We ought to encourage them as much as we can. We use attendance cards, um, and we encourage everybody to fill out attendance cards, members and visitors, so they're all filling it out at the same time. We follow up with them. One way we follow up is that our secretary on Monday, she'll compile all the visitors' addresses from Sunday, and on Monday she'll send an email out to all of our members uh, with the list of the visitors. Say, here's here are the visitors, at the local visitors and the out-of-town visitors. Here's all the visitors that we had yesterday with their name and address. Uh, and so, and we've got people that are writing cards. Just, I mean, they're just busy writing cards to all these, to these visitors that are coming. So they're getting the handwritten, personalized. They're not just getting a letter from the church, you know, that's a form letter, hey, thank you for visiting, but they're getting these, uh, these personalized cards. Um, Y'all mug your visitors here, is that right? <laughs> That was in Denver? Y'all mugged them? I thought that was incredible. I thought that was funny uh, to mug your visitors. They, they, y'all gave them a mug, right? I mean, you didn't go and steal something from them. But, uh, um, but uh, I, mean, that, 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 I, I love that concept. You know, you just take a mug here. Uh, but have, have some sort of gift, some, some reason to, if you're going to visit them, have some reason to show up there. Have something in your hand uh, that you can give them. I, I'm, I'm way behind. Let me just put all of these up here. There are some things that you can tell them. I prayed for you today. Um, I'm so thankful that I'm a Christian, and here's why. I, here's some great things that happened at church yesterday. I wanted to let you know about them. Um, you know, I talked to somebody about how concerned you are about the moral decline in our nation and have a conversation. There's some things you can ask somebody. You know, is, is there something I can be praying for you this week? Uh, you know, I've been reading my Bible a lot lately. Have you, have you been reading your Bible? Um, just... And, and all I'm trying to do here is just to whet your your appetite, your thoughts to say, 
These are just ways to create opportunities. And that's all we're trying to do is just, I want to teach somebody the gospel, but how do I open that door that Paul talks about? How do I get that entry into the opportunity to teach? And one and the way to do that is I've got to awaken. Wow, look at yeah, they need it. I've got to talk to I've got to talk to her. I've really got to talk to her. Why do I? Okay, I create an opportunity. I, I just give them some, hey, we've got this thing down at church. I just I just want to give you this, this card. Or, you know, I just want to give you this invitation or send them something or invite them. It, all that doing is just, and it may be multiple times you've got to create opportunities. I mean, one's not going to work. Multiple ways. Uh, just creating these, these opportunities and these conversations. Very quickly, though, we're not done. We've got to stop and we've got to act. And the T and act is not just awaken the prospects and create opportunities. I've got to teach. Um, and and I, I, I've got to come to the point where I am ready to teach somebody the gospel, realizing that creating those opportunities is not the same as teaching. Uh, I've got to go out and teach them, but here's this point that we made at the beginning, that uh, every Christian has a personal, and I, I would add the word ability here, and I didn't have it here, every Christian has a personal ability, you do, and responsibility to teach the gospel. But personally teaching somebody the gospel is the has been proven to be the most effective means of evangelism. Mass evangelism gets people's attention, gets people watching, perhaps, and gets people, uh, you know, and maybe interested. But it's that one-on-one -on -one interaction. It's that person at work that you talk to. It's that person in the neighborhood that you talk to. It's that person that you invite to worship. That personal interaction, the one-on-one, -on -one, has always been the most effective means of reaching somebody with the gospel. Why? Because it's real. It's not just, I'm a part of a mass market. I'm a part of an individual relationship with somebody that's actually concerned about me. Is actually talking. Now, remember, I'm not saying don't do world evangelism. I'm not saying don't do mass. We need to do it every. We need to push on every door we can. We need to try everything that we possibly can. But that includes me, too. That includes me teaching somebody, trying to teach somebody uh, the gospel. So what do I do? Somebody says, yes, sure, I'll, I'll study the Bible with you. I've got to do my ABCs, right? I've got to arrange the study. I always make sure that it, it is a time and a place that is most convenient for them. My schedule has to work around their schedule. Um, and and I, I, don't, I don't make it inconvenient for them at all. I need to be confident that I can teach. You need to be confident that you can teach. Here's a statement you may not agree with. Every Christian knows what to teach. If you're a Christian, you know what to teach. And you know what to teach because you have obeyed what they need to obey. You've done what they need to do. You've learned what they need to learn. And so one, one, of, the, uh, one of the things that we, we have printed up is just a little bookmark that sometimes folks... We've got them out in our lobby, and we've got a lot of tracks and stuff out in our lobby. One of the things we printed up was just a uh, little bookmark that on one side it says, what Jesus did for you and why he did it. And then the other side is what Jesus expects of you and why he expects And it's just a simple little thing. But you know this. You, you don't need a bookmark to tell you, what did Jesus do for us? Why did he do it? Yeah, you know that. What does Jesus want from us? Why does he want it? That's teaching somebody the gospel. You know enough to go out and to teach somebody what they need to do in order to become a child of God. What's holding us back? The C in ABC is I've got to choose a study method. 
What am I going to teach? How am I going to teach them? You may be somebody that just sits down with the Bible and you just have an open Bible and you just teach them from an open Bible. A lot of people are not going to do that, though. They need something to help them to teach. And so let, just, just for a minute, let me, let me run through just some that you're probably already familiar with. Jewel Miller was, in my opinion, the, the greatest uh, teaching resource in the 20th century in the church. It, it, and I, know I, don't, I haven't looked at this, but I, I think it probably converted more people in that, that teaching tool than any other method because it was so easy. Uh, some of you may have been converted by it. Some of you may have lugged, you know, the uh, those, the uh, the film script projector and then and then the audio player and the screen in your third hand and everything. You're trying to knock on somebody's door when you're trying to step, but it was effective. Uh, and then they put it on VHS tape, put it on a DVD. It's on a thumb drive now, uh, still available uh, to use as as a very effective uh, teaching method. Some of you may have used uh, Ivan Stewart's uh, Bible study called Open Bible Study. Three little easy little sheets of paper uh, to go through, ready-made, uh, just to take those in a Bible, uh, teach somebody the gospel. Uh, some of you are probably not familiar with Jerry Jenkins' little book. This is available online now as a, as a digital copy. You can also still order it from, I, I always forget uh, what the congregation's name changed to, uh, Birmingham where he preached. It's, uh, it's got a different name, but they still provide these. Um, and you can still order them, they're like four or five dollars. But there's four, there's four lessons in these, and they look just like this. They're, they've got that gum, what's that gum uh, uh, adhesive that's used where you can tear something off at the top? And, and so they, each page just tears off. You read this page, okay, we're done with that. And you tear it off and you leave it with the person uh, that you're studying with. But this, this is a pretty cool little study. I don't know anybody who was more effective in personal evangelism than Jerry Jenkins. I don't know anybody who did more personal Bible studies than Jerry Jenkins. This guy, I mean, he, he had a Bible study going on nearly every night uh, of the week, and so it's a very effective study. Uh, you're no, no doubt familiar with Searching for Truth from World Video Bible School and John Moore. Um, it, it, a similar concept to the Jewel Miller, you know, came out on DVD. It's free online where you can share it with somebody, or better yet, go and sit with them in their home uh, and, and watch it and, and let John Moore, let John Moore on the screen uh, do the teaching. You may be familiar with Fishers of Men. Uh, which is an intensive training program uh, that where you get special you get specially trained by somebody uh, who is uh, who is a trainer in the Fisher Men program. It's a 16 lesson course uh, that has also been proven to be very effective. You're probably familiar with Bobby Bates' little three books uh, on Back to the Bible that is being used widely. Uh, and again, very easy to use. You just open the page and uh, and you just follow along in the Bible. Um, and then several years ago, I wrote a series that's similar to a lot of these, but again, it was something that fit us. It, it, just, it was something that we needed that would fit our congregation. I think it fits others, but again, the concept is all you need is a, is a booklet, a Bible, and a pen, and you're ready to go. You, you, don't, you don't have to do a whole lot of preparation ahead of time. You know, you, you don't, you, you just, you go to the page and it says, read this verse, you answer this question. Read this verse, answer this question. Uh, and it goes through and it teaches them the gospel. You're teaching them the gospel. So the whole point is not to sell you on any tool, but to say there are resources out there. You just need to find the one that fits you. Not every tool fits the everybody the same. You need to find, you know, maybe it's a video that works better for you. Maybe it's a booklet that works better. Whatever, whatever it is, find what fits you and then use it. 
perfected for you. Or if you can't find one, make up your own. You know, write your own lessons that will help you. Can, you know what needs to be taught. You can do that. I would encourage you to challenge yourself. And maybe make a challenge to the congregation as a whole. Challenge, because if we don't have goals to say, this is what we want to do, well, what are we going to do? If we don't have challenges, then what are we, so I, to say I need to do more, I need to do better, I, my elders would never let me use the word more or better in any kind of goal setting uh, for any kind of work because they said it has to be measurable and more and better are not measurable. Okay, got it. Yep, you're right. So it had, you know, it had to be defined. So maybe, maybe either as an individual or as a congregation, sit out and say, I'm going to, and, and go through what we talked about, give out this many pieces of material. I'm going to send out this many messages. I'm going to invite this many people. I'm going to have this many Bible studies. And just set some goals. Set some goals that challenge you. This is Bible Correspondence Course down at the bottom. I just didn't have room to fit it all in. And I don't know if you all are involved in Bible Correspondence Courses or not. But a variety of teaching methods, but set some goals. What what should we be able to do individually or maybe as a congregation and then, and then work as a congregation to meet uh, those goals? Let me very quickly give you some guarantees. When it comes, do you like guarantees? I mean, when you see the word guarantee, you're like, hey, all right, that's guaranteed. Uh, so let me give you some guarantees. And th this, is, this is wrapping things up, right? There's only one more slide after this. This is wrapping things up, winding this lesson down. Guarantees when it comes to personal evangelism. Number one, it is difficult work. You're like, great, thanks a lot. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. You put it right at the beginning. It's difficult work. Number two, it is highly rewarding. Put those two together. Does it take effort? Yeah, it takes more effort than just coming to a place and sitting in a seat. It's going to take some effort in awakening these prospects, creating opportunities, and sit down and teaching. But it is highly rewarding when you do it. I guarantee you that it is. Number three, and a lot of these go together. The hardest part is getting started. Like a lot of things, hardest part is getting started. It only gets easier from there. Number four, success breeds success like fuel to a fire. Because once you teach somebody the gospel, you're going to go hunting for more. I, I, I guarantee it. I, I, it's weird, okay? You can think, well, I, I'm going to teach them the gospel and I'll feel good and I'm going to take a break. You won't want to take a break. When you've been able to teach somebody the gospel, you're like, that was fun. That was great. i, I got to find somebody else. It, it's, it's go, it is going to happen. What are we on? Number six, uh, you will learn a lot yourself. The teachers always learn the most. If your fear is, I don't know enough, start teaching. You start teaching somebody, you will find out what you don't know, and then you'll go and learn it. You will learn a lot yourself. Number seven, open your eyes to the lost souls around you. Awaken the prospects. You won't be the same. When you see somebody at the store behind the, behind the, as a cashier, and you see that person has a soul, you won't see them the same. You will treat them differently than maybe you would have treated them before when you realize, wait, they've got an eternal soul, that's, and, I, and I can do something about that? It will change the way you see people. Number eight, in the eyes of God, Proverbs 11, verse 30, you will be counted as wise. In the eyes of Christ, number nine, you will be a faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Last one, God promises, guarantees, God promises to help you do His work. Lo, I'm with you always. 
Can you imagine being Joshua in Joshua chapter 1? When Moses is, I mean, that's the first part of Joshua chapter 1. Moses is dead. Yeah, thanks, Lord. I know that. That's, that's what I'm worried about. And it's on you, Joshua. Did he say it's all on you? No, it's not all on you. I'm with you in this process, and he is with us as we do his work. I want to share with you one quote, and then we'll be done. Otis Gatewood was uh, a great personal worker, great missionary of the 20th century, wrote a book, uh, and it was revised at least once, called You Can Do Personal Work. And here's just a quote I want to share with you from that book, and then we'll finish. He says, if you want to save a soul badly enough, you'll make a way. There might be many rules to follow, but the greatest is the desire. You may not know best how to talk to people about their souls, but if you want to so badly that you cannot keep from it, your biggest battle is won. Know definitely why you should be a personal worker, and the how will not be difficult. If we can have that heart, it says, I see these souls. I want to help them. I want to teach them the gospel. I want to stop getting myself in the way. And I want to reach out and tell them what I know. You've overcome the hardest part. And the rest will not be that difficult. And the Lord is going to walk with you every step of the way. Today we talked about the greatest work in the world. And we get to be. We get to be. Don't have to. We, we could look at it and say we have to be. Okay. I get to be. I get to be a part of the greatest work in the world. Let's have a prayer. Holy Father, we talked about some exciting things in these last few minutes and some nervous things too. We look at it and we think, uh, it's just not, not for me. And, I'm not ready for that. We have obstacles. We have concerns. We have fears, God. First thing we do today is we just admit those to you. And we tell you that we have them. Father, we just pray that you will help us to overcome us. Whatever it is that's holding us back, help us to acknowledge it. And help us to pray to you and ask ask you. Help us to get over it so Father, thank you for involving us in your work on this earth. Thank you for being with us every step of the way. Father, help us to do your work. Help us to do that which is pleasing to you. Help us to awaken the prospects around us. Help us to create opportunities. Help us to enjoy teaching them the good news that we know. In Jesus' name we pray.